Well, welcome everybody for this Saturday's Explaining the Faith series talk. I'm Father Chris Alar, one of the Marian priests of the Immaculate Conception, and it's an honor to be with you. It's one degree here in Stockbridge, so we have a few of the people who brave the cold, but uh, we're hoping for warmer days ahead. But praise be to God that you're with us. And as you see, the topic of the talk this week is going to be why be pro-life? Now, I'm not going to, I can promise you, this is not going to be your standard pro-life. I know I get excited, but this will not be one where I'm going to be shouting and giving you a quote from 20 different bishops that say, you know, um, we're going to hell if we're not this or that. You know, there are, yes, there are moral implications. We'll talk about those. But this talk is not meant to be political. It's not going to be talking about political parties or politicians. This this talk is why the church is pro-life, way ahead of any political party or politician. And so we're glad you could follow us on our YouTube channel, Divine Mercy. So if you're here in the in the pews, you can follow the slides I'm going to be showing on our YouTube channel, Divine Mercy, or on Facebook on our Divine Mercy official webpage. So please like us and hit uh, subscribe. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all of you have given us, most of all, the gift of life. We give you thanks for the gift of this day. Help us to be obedient to your will, to give you glory in all things, and most of all, to protect the dignity of the human life, and especially the unborn. And we ask all this through the intercession of St. Faustina and our Mother Mary, through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, <clears throat> Again, thank you for being with us as, as we're going to try to explain, and it's, it's going to be a different kind of talk than I've given before. I've got some of the things I'll repeat that I've given in homilies, but it's not going to be about voting. It's not going to be about that. What this is going to be about is understanding what God has given us in this gift and why the church is pro-life. Now, the pro-life position then is not just based on faith. So many people, you'll see these conflicts in front of the Capitol building and shouting and screaming and don't you force your religion on me and keep your rosaries off of my ovaries. And it's not just faith. This is an understanding based on human reason. Even if you're an atheist, we're not here to condemn. We're here to teach the truth and the truth will either condemn us or set us free. I don't have to condemn you. The truth will either set us free or not. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Now, the pro-life position then is based, as I said, not just on faith, but on reason, the use of logic. And so this talk is going to be based on both. Now, we have to start with the fact that each and every person is unique and, and unrepeatable. You know, I always... I'm crazy, I know, but I go to airports and I'm trying to always get my work done and I'm always spending time on my emails and, and my texts and stuff, but I have a real distraction because I people watch and I always get into the understanding or the, 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 the meditation on, I just watched a thousand people walk by and everyone had a different face. 
How is it possible? Now, some people look at like each other. I get that. But everybody of the seven hundred seven and a half billion people in the world have a, have a different face, have a different body shape, have a different personality. Even if somebody looks like somebody else, they have a, per, a, a different personality. Even identical twins have different personalities. And it's just incredible of what God can do. There's no other way you could do it. If somebody said, design seven and a half billion different colors, you couldn't do it. It's like, this is a gift. All right. So each person is unrepeatable and their value is infinite, infinite in worth and dignity. This is important. Now, people are not based, contrary to what society tells us, people are not based on usability, wantedness, how much you're, you're revered or wanted, or utility, how much you bring to the world. <clears throat> Ending life in the womb is the ultimate attack against that. Some are worth living, some are not. Whoa. Who can make that decision other than God? That someone is worth living and someone is not. The human person can't be disposed of for any reason. I don't have the right to tell you what to do with your body. You know what? You're right. When you look at me at the abortion clinic and you scream at me in the face and you say, you have no right what to tell me to do with your body, I say back to you, you're exactly right until it involves another body, another person, another human being. Now, all of a sudden, that changes the game. We have the right to determine if we want a kidney replacement or what, because it doesn't affect anybody else but us. But when that human life is in the person, now there's two. And so this is the understanding. You know, one cannot decide the fate of another unless that person willfully poses a threat to you. This is the catechism, self-defense. Only if somebody broke into my house and threatened the lives of my family and willfully, willfully tried to kill me or my family, would I have the right to take their life. And even then I would personally try to just maim or injure, but you do, the catechism says, have the right to take that life, but only in those circumstances. Now here's the thing, a baby doesn't do that. Well, father, the baby could threaten the life of the mother, but it's not willful. It's not the willful choice of the baby, like a criminal breaking in the house, willfully wanting to kill you. You then have the right to have to defend yourself. But a baby is not willfully doing this. Now, we'll talk about later if the baby poses a threat to the life of the mother. That's a principle called double effect, and we'll get to that. But the baby doesn't willfully do that. Even the pregnancy that threatens the mother is not willful. So again, we'll get to this. Now, the mother made the choice of the action that conceived the baby. Well, no, father, what about rape? We'll get to that. So you see the point we're making here. Now, let's look at our next slide of Brother Mark and put up. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. All right. By nature, 
all are created in the image and likeness of God. How? We have a rational nature. We have an intellect and a will. The intellect is the thinking, my brain, the will is my action. We can sin either in the, in the mind or the will, the act. And so we as rational creatures, we have both. Now, here's the thing. That's why Satan wants to destroy us because we're in the image and likeness of God. And so he hates that. He wants to destroy anything that's in the image and likeness of God. And so that's what his goal is. That's why when a, a life is ended, a pregnancy is terminated, the demons rejoice. This is not what we want. This is why the mystery of the incarnation is so important because Christ took the flesh, he took on flesh, and that gives the human flesh a higher dignity now. We're not just an animal. Jesus didn't become a dog as much as I loved Rocky. Jesus didn't become a fish, no matter how much I loved a fish. And no matter what I'll do to protect a fish or a dog, Jesus didn't become one of them. That's why it was hard for me when I gave those other videos and people were like, how dare you, Father, uh, say that only human beings get to heaven. No, we believe there might be animals in heaven, but they don't have rational, immortal souls like we do. Christ didn't become a dog or a fish. Therefore, they don't have the same dignity. Now, we treat them, trust me, the one thing that I just cannot tolerate is animal abuse. You know one of the reasons why? They're defenseless. It's one of the things that bothers me the most about somebody who mistreats an animal. Because I always say, well, at least a human being could stand up for themselves, but an animal can't. Neither can the unborn. Neither can the unborn. This is important. Now, Christ becoming flesh gives us that fuller dignity. He elevated humanity and the dignity of the human person to the level of God. Father, you're crazy. No. We now share in the divine life of God because of the incarnation. And we're just going to dispose of any human being because each and every human being now has been elevated in their nature to the level of sharing in the life of God. This is amazing. I'm getting careful not to shout here, but it's exciting to know what God has given us. All right, he took on life in the womb. He became one of them. He became a fetus. So here is Jesus, the life in the womb. He became an embryo. He put his life in the womb of a human woman and made himself vulnerable just like each and every one of us was vulnerable in their mother's womb. I keep thinking how vulnerable my mom is right now, how sick she is, and, 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 how, uh, and, and I'm thinking, just think, here, I'm feeding my mom when I was home, and I had a spoon, and, and I'm feeding my mom thinking, how long ago she was the one feeding me, and I was dependent on her. I would have died without my mom. My mom could have made the choice to terminate me. Praise be to God, she didn't. And thank God, each one of you listening, your mom didn't choose to terminate you. So the child is vulnerable and at the mercy of the mother. Now, look at this. 
Let's look at our next slide. God has given the woman the power and the ability to abort or not to. My body, my rules. We see that on the slide. By free will, God has put the child at the mercy of the mother. The mother has the choice. Father, I didn't think you were free choice or pro-choice. I'm not pro-choice in the sense of ending a life, but free will means you have the choice. You could smoke, you could drink, you could put the life of that child in your womb in danger, right? The father could too, by abusing the mother and hurting the baby. So the child has no free will in the preservation of its existence. Listen to this. This is very powerful. The woman is the baby's at the mercy of the woman, but the woman is also at the mercy of society, right? She now has more needs. She has a life within her. She now needs care and support. So there is a mutual responsibility that we all have to her. Everybody says, well, Father, you Catholics only care about the baby. You don't care about the mother. No, we're going to talk about that too. All right, so... We have the freedom also, like she does, to support her or not. Just like she has the freedom to support the baby or not, we have the freedom to support the mom or not. And pro-life is being in support of both the baby and the mother. This is very important. Both the baby and the mother. You know, in New York City, more than half of all black women end their pregnancies so we have to help them. 53% said they were forced. Over half of the black women in New York City, they were forced. And of the ones that had the abortion, or the um, ended the term and uh, terminated the pregnancy, 80% said that they wouldn't have if they had support. That is what is important. You know, by nature, the mother has this authority and the physical freedom to affect the life of the baby. Now, note that she has the capacity to take its life, but not the right. I actually have the capacity to take your life. I could take out a gun and, and kill the person right in front of me. But do I have the right to? No. I have the capacity to, I have the free will to, I have the ability to, but do I have the right to? No. It is her choice and her free will, but in a way, she doesn't have the right to choose this. There's no choice. There's a free will action that goes contrary to the moral law. Now, she has the choice to take the life, but actually not a choice. Because remember what freedom is? Freedom isn't the ability to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is the ability to do what you ought to do. So that's not freedom. I want the freedom to be able to end the, the life in my womb. That's not freedom. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is the ability to do what you ought to do. So religious freedom is us being be able to worship in church because we ought to be able to do that. But it doesn't mean I could take your life because we got in an argument. All right, now, although she can take the life, the father too, actually 
she has the right and obligation to preserve it. Why? Because that life was entrusted to her. When something, when you get a puppy, what is the first thing you say as a parent to your child? I want a puppy. I want a puppy. Are you going to take care of it? You have a responsibility, Junior, to take care of this puppy. If you're going to make the conscious decision to say, I want a puppy, if you're going to make that choice, just like the mother did when she conceived the baby, again, under most circumstances, we'll talk about the others. Now you have the obligation to protect it. So it's just like you as a parent saying to your child, you wanted the pet or you brought the pet home. Now you have the obligation to protect it, to take care of it, to preserve it. When someone is dependent on you for their continued sustenance and protection, you have the obligation and responsibility to protect them. Would we dismiss parents from this? No, who says, where's the parent? That child's running outside at three years old at two o'clock in the morning. What's the first question you always ask? Where's the parent? Because the parent has the duty, the obligation to take care of that, to preserve them. Why? Because the child was entrusted to them. Nobody would say, well, gee, the parent has the right to abandon that kid just because he's three years old instead of three months old. Very important. Even if you don't believe in God, you have this responsibility. Even the father doesn't have this level of responsibility. This is one of the problems with contraception. It makes the father completely irresponsible. And so even the father doesn't have this total say in the birth of the baby because the baby is physically attached to the mom. The baby isn't dependent on the father in the same way. Now, he is for many other reasons, financial support, love, emotion, presence. Yes, all of that. But he's not, the baby's not in the womb of the father. The truth is life is most fully in the hands of the mom. Let's look at our next slide. This one is fascinating. I don't think I've ever seen a picture, and I read this story. Do you know this is a true picture? This is a woman on Instagram who has 3 million followers. And you know what she did? She did a stunt in Dubai on the highest building in the world. And she was held by the single arm of a man dangling over the building. A thousand feet in the air or whatever the height is, I don't know. And she's hanging by the arm of this male, this man. And that's a real picture. I'm like, I get scared just looking at it. I'm such a wimp when it comes to heights. If there's no guardrail or anything, I'm like, uh, uh, uh. And here she is dangling over the building straight down and he's holding her by one arm. Now, why do I show this picture? All right. I, if I'm that man and I'm holding you over a building, and you're holding onto my arm, I do not have the right to let you go. You're entrusted to me at that moment. At that moment, your life is in my hands, just like nine months, that babe, that life is in the womb. You know what you could think of that picture as? A mother holding the baby over the edge for nine months. And so, 
I don't have the right to let you go if I am holding your hand in that situation. I have a choice to let you go or not. I am obligated to hold on to you even if I may fall. Whoa, what, Father? Yeah. If I let you go on purpose, I'm guilty of murder. Because your life was in my hand at that moment. Well, how come nobody else is guilty of murder? The people inside the office watching, because you're the one holding her hand. The baby is the one in the womb. Fascinating. The church's position on this does seem rough. Now, I'm not going to get into this detail, but I do think it's worth talking about. Well, Father, what if the woman didn't make that choice? It was a conception based on rape. The church does teach, and I'll do a whole other talk on this later, but I don't have time to get it into today. Yes, that's a horrible, horrible, horrible situation. But now there's an innocent life, and that innocent life should not be punished because of the bad act of another person. And there's a whole reason why the church teaches this. But God can bring a greater good, even out of those horrible situations. People say, well, I don't want to see the baby. I can't be reminded. Adoption. You know, Jesse Jackson, Nell Carter's daughter from Give Me a Break. I could go on and on at the list. That was the situation, how they were conceived. And so, praise be to God, they didn't take that life doesn't mean that you have to willfully face it. There are adoptions. You know, adoption, do you know there are 2 million couples in the United States waiting for a baby? And do you know that means for every one baby that comes up for adoption, 36 couples are waiting? Even if there was the unfortunate tragedy of a rape, there would be a couple that would say, you know what, I'll still take the baby. That's a whole nother topic. Please understand the delicateness of that situation. But I want to get into something that I haven't talked about in a long time, but, but it's really important, and that is a little bit of Roe v. Wade. This will probably be the only politics I get into, but it, it does serve a point and purpose here. You know, on 9-11, we lost about 3,000 lives. It was like 2,900 and some. Do you know that abortion kills more than that every two days in the U.S.? Every two days. In one year more die in the womb than died in the battlefields of all the American wars combined. The Revolutionary War, the Civil War, Mexican-American War, the Spanish War, American War, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, all of it. That's amazing. You know, Roe v. Wade was 49 years ago, and the March for Life is coming up this Friday. It was 49 years ago, and since then, over 60 million lives have been lost. Comparatively, there were 6 million Jews lost in the Holocaust. Now, that was a horrendous tragedy nobody argues against. But 10 times more have been lost in the womb just in the United States since Roe v. Wade. 10 times more. So it's something we need to think about. And so let's look at our next slide. This is a picture of Norma McCorvey. In 1971, this case was filed by Norma, known in court documents as Jane Rowe. That's who she was. And the battle there, 
as you can see, it gives her dates that she lived. She was Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade. And it was filed against Henry Wade, who was the district attorney in Dallas from 1951 to 1987. And it was about a Texas law that prohibited the ending of any pregnancy except to save a woman's life. Okay. So the U.S. Supreme Court then ruled on January 22nd, 1973 to legalize abortion. Now, on June 17th, 2003, Norma McCorvey, or known as Jane Roe, filed a motion with the U.S. District Court in Dallas. And her goal was to overturn it. Here she was, the main plaintiff, to overturn and ask the court to consider new evidence that this hurts women, doesn't help them. It included a thousand affidavits from women who say that they regret ending the life of their children. It had affidavits of women talking about the risks of breast cancer, uterine damage, complications of future pregnancy, depending on the procedure they had, and even death. You know, the British Journal of Psychiatry says that these women have 138% higher risk of mental health problems compared to women who have given birth. That's astonishing. Let's look at, our, look at our next slide, because this is very important. These are the words of Justice Blackman, the majority opinion on Roe v. Wade. Listen to this. Now, Roe v. Wade was a decision that basically defended this legalization on the basis of ignorance. And Justice Blackman wrote in his majority opinion, let's read the screen. At this point, in the development of man's knowledge, we cannot resolve the difficult question of when life begins. If this suggestion of fetal personhood is ever established, meaning that we ever determine that the fetus is a person, the case in support of legal abortion collapses. For the fetus's right to life would then be guaranteed specifically by the 14th Amendment. Whoa. That is Justice Blackman of the majority opinion of the case of Roe v. Wade saying if it's ever determined that the fetus is a person, legalized abortion collapses. It can no longer exist. Now here, he says it's based on the 14th Amendment, reminding you what the 14th Amendment was. The 14th Amendment is that no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Well, the laws say, you can't take my life. Here's what's baffling. In 1981, a United States Senate Judiciary Subcommittee received the following testimony from a collection of medical experts. You want to look it up? It's the Subcommittee on Separation of Powers to Senate Judiciary Committee, S-158, Report, 97th Congress, First Session, 1981. 
Here's what they said. The official Senate report came to this conclusion. Now, remember, keep in mind what Justice Blackman just said. If it's ever determined that the fetus is a person, this whole Roe v. Wade decision collapses. Keep that in mind in the words of what I'm about to read you. The official Senate report reached this conclusion. Physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of life of a human being. A being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. Basically, everybody, if there is growth, there is life. Anything that grows has life. It's impossible to grow. A piece of steel doesn't grow on its own. All right? Anything that grows has life. Unless man affects the growth, like rolling a snowball down a hill. So this is, there is growth in the womb. That implies there is life. So why hasn't Roe v. Wade collapsed? Justice Blackman himself said if it's ever determined a fetus is a person, this whole thing collapses. And yet we just read the official Senate report coming to the conclusion, physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of life of the human being. There's your answer. Why hasn't it collapsed? This is unbelievable. This has been a lie perpetuated that it isn't a person, that it's just a clump of tissue. We have a great story of a friend of ours in Buffalo that is going to be on our EWTN show on Wednesday. And I invite you to watch it at 630 because we're going to do also pro-life, but it's going to be nothing that I talk about here. It's going to be something totally different. It's going to be all of all St. Faustina. And the main thing she said when she had her baby and when she says, I was told it was just a clump of tissue, that it wasn't a real human. And this is how it's being treated. You know, the Department of Homeland Security released a report in January 2012 saying, if you are anti-abortion, you are a potential terrorist. This is the exact words. We need to make our voices heard to God and at the voting booth, yes. People ask me all the time if I think a chastisement is coming. And, you know, we need to answer that by saying, you know, the saints all say that we can mitigate any chastisement with prayer and penance and changing our ways. God is giving us a chance to do that. And the best way to do this to end the taking of the life of children is to show God we want to change it. That we want to take responsibility. I don't want to let go of that life holding on to my hand, God. If I'm holding on to somebody and you're dangling over a thousand foot cliff, you better believe I'm going to be praying to God to help protect you. I'm not going to let you go. Nobody would. You're an inconvenience to me. I let you go? No. And so this is very important. 
The best way to do this is to tell God we're sorry. Now, let's take a look at our next slide, because I will mention this about Faustina. This will be the topic on the EWTN show Wednesday at 6.30 Eastern time. You know, St. Faustina held back the hands of an angel that was going to strike Warsaw. And I tell this whole story, I'm not going to get into it here. But Jesus gave St. Faustina a prayer to pray so that that angel wouldn't strike Warsaw. And then later her confessor asked her, what was it about Warsaw that the Lord was going to strike? And she said, taking the lives of children in the womb, the greatest of all crime, because they're the most defenseless. And so St. Faustina paid reparation. She actually got stomach pains several times between the hours of 8 and 11 p.m., which was the hours they performed those procedures at the clinics in Warsaw. Unbelievable. So she felt these stomach pains. So Jesus gave her the words of the chaplet to say to protect that city from the angel that was going to strike. Again, we invite you to join us. So this chaplet of divine mercy was actually, according to St. Saint, uh, Saint Seraphim, Father Seraphim, to stop abortion. Here, the next slide is the website you can see our show, livingdivinemercy.org. That has all our EWTN shows. If you can't watch it live on Wednesday, we post it 24 hours later. So at 7 p.m. on Thursday and after, it'll be up. So if you can't make it live on Wednesday, please join us on livingdivinemercy.org and you can see that program. That's what I talk about. We have an amazing story of our friend who, um, Dina, who, who went through this and learned and she's become stronger and stronger in, the, in, in, in her service to God. Now has become a real activist in the pro-life movement. Really powerful. All right. Why do we want to be pro-life? Okay, many reasons, all right? Many, many reasons. But pro-life position is deeply American and Catholic. It's deeply freedom-based. So if you're striving for freedom, no matter where you are in the world, not just America, you should want to be pro-life. Let's look at our next slide. The Declaration of Independence. Here's Thomas Jefferson, not canceled in my book. He said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Words we are losing, words we are canceling. Lord, help us. St. John Paul II in his encyclical, Evangelium Vitae, the gospel of life, said this, quote, the gospel of life is at the heart of Jesus' message. Lovingly received day after day by the church, it is to be preached with dauntless fidelity as good news to the people of every age and culture. The source of this great joy is the birth of the Savior. Remember I talked earlier in this talk about the incarnation, right? But Christmas also reveals the full meaning of every human birth. But you never thought of that. We always think of Christmas just about the birth of Jesus. 
He says Christmas reveals the full meaning of every human birth and the joy which accompanies the birth of the Messiah is thus seen to be the foundation and fulfillment of the joy of every child born into the world. And he confers John chapter 16, verse 21. Wow. When he presents the heart of his redemptive mission, Jesus says, right out of the Bible, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10. He didn't say, I give you life selectively. Uh -uh. John Paul II continued. He said, the Second Vatican Council in a passage which retains all its relevance today, forcefully condemned a number of crimes and attacks against human life. Now, he was saying this in the 90s. So then he says 30 years later, because he's talking in the 90s, taking up the words of the council and with the same forcefulness, he uses the word forcefulness, I repeat that condemnation in the name of the whole church, certain that I am interpreting the genuine sentiment of every upright conscience. Here's what he said. Powerful stuff. Whoever is opposed to life itself, such as any type of murder, genocide, abortion, euthanasia, or willful self-destruction, now, I want to pause there for a minute because no, being pro-life is not just about abortion. Bro, being pro-life is about all those other issues. He goes on, whatever violates the integrity of the human person, such as mutilation, torments inflicted, inflict, torments inflicted on the body or mind, attempts to coerce the will itself, whatever insults human dignity, even subhuman living conditions, arbitrary punishment, deportation, slavery, prostitution, the selling of women and children, which is a huge problem now, human trafficking, as well as disgraceful working conditions where people are treated as mere instruments of gain rather than as free and responsible persons. All these things and others like them are infamies indeed. They poison human society and they do more harm to those who practice them than those who suffer from the injury. Moreover, they are a supreme dishonor to the creator. So when we say we're pro-life, we're talking all life here. All life, not just life in the womb, but it's life in the womb we'll talk about more as preeminent because it's defenseless and it's the most vulnerable, but we'll get to that. Now, Pope Francis, even in Gaudium et Exultate, says, quote, our defense of the innocent unborn, for example, needs to be clear, firm, and passionate. For at stake is the dignity of a human life, which is always sacred and demands love for each person, regardless of his or her stage of development. Equally sacred, however, are the lives of the poor, those already born, the destitute, the abandoned, and the underprivileged, the vulnerable, infirm, and elderly exposed to, convert, exposed to cover, covert euthanasia, 
the victims of human trafficking, new forms of slavery, and other form and every form of rejection. So basically, yes, pro-life is all these things. Now I want to point out though, yes, all lives are equal. The baby's life is not more important than the mother's life. Both are infinitely important. But regarding the issues in those lives, life in the womb is most preeminent. The church teaches this because they are the most defenseless. They're the ones who cannot help themselves. I put euthanasia right up there because I think at the end of your life, you get right back to that same level of helplessness. And so that's why I will not even hear of talk of, and praise be to God that my father and my sister are all aboard, my whole family's aboard. There will be no pulling of a plug on my mom because we are pro-life, right? Mom could be being purged. You know, it's incredible to even think of the concept, but I've said before, my mom struggled with unforgiveness um, with her mom because her mom abused her very badly, physically. And my mom struggled greatly with unforgiveness. My mom may now being be being purified because of the suffering that she's enduring in her condition. Right before she lost real consciousness, I asked her if she forgave and she said, yes. My father, by his own admission, made many mistakes in his life. Now his ability to take care of her may be the greatest act of charity he could ever give to another human being. So he may be being purified. So if my mom wouldn't be going through this suffering, is it possible that my mom would have, if she just would have had a great life and then all suddenly died, may have been a lost soul because of her unforgiveness. And then my dad never has a chance to be super heroic in his virtue of taking care of her and giving up everything to take care of her 24 seven he wouldn't have had that chance because my mom never would have been sick. Yet now mom is sick and I believe possibly being purified. I pray every morning, Lord, please heal her. But if you're allowing any of this suffering, please, I beg you, Lord, let it be redemptive. Let it be for the salvation of her soul. Likewise, I pray for my father that these acts of charity that he's doing by his own admission, he wasn't there, he wasn't charitable, he wasn't. Now he's being an opportunity has been given to him to give the greatest act of charity by taking care of my mother, changing her, bathing her, feeding her. Unlike he's ever given charity to anybody in his whole life. This is God bringing a greater good. Am I saying we want this? Of course not. Jesus asked for the cup to be passed by in the garden. But then what did he say? But not my will be done, your will be done, Father. Why? Because God the Father was going to bring a greater good. And I tell you what, if mom and dad end up both being saved out of this, it's worth every ounce of suffering. If mom was lost to unforgiveness and dad was lost because he didn't have the charity, now both could be being rectified. This is incredible. That's what gives me faith and hope. So we look at this. All lives are equal. 
But the lives in the womb are especially vulnerable, defenseless, and therefore protecting of them is preeminent. That is because those lives are most, as I said, the ones that need our protection. They're hanging onto our arms, dangling over the building. The adult already in the building isn't. Is his life important? Sure. But we have a greater responsibility than one hanging over the building with our hands. Now, let's picture this. I'm sitting on the edge of the building with somebody hanging over on my hand, and I got somebody in the other building saying, hey, Father Chris, um, we don't like your stance on some social justice matter. Right now, there might be a temperature rise in global warming. Who's the more preeminent, who's the more preeminent issue at that moment is that life dangling in my hand? All those other issues are important. I'm not saying that. But that is preeminent at that moment. That's the life also in the womb. Misconception for Catholics is that it's all equal. This is not true. The USCCB, the United States um, of the College of, or the uh, Catholic Bishops, Conference of Catholic Bishops, said one issue is of preeminent consideration when you vote the defense of life. That is because it is the protection, as I said, of the most vulnerable. People say, well, Father, you're a hypocrite because your Catholic Church teaches that capital punishment is allowed. Okay, you got to take the context here, everybody. Capital punishment is almost never allowed anymore because we have prisons, we have reform, the church does say if it's impossible to protect society, if it's possible to maintain, this was more years ago when they, they didn't have advanced security prisons and, and you had outlaws and people who were a threat to society. The church did say you could take capital punishment. You could protect society because of the willful act of that person to kill other people. The baby isn't doing that. Also, do you know how many lives died of capital punishment last year? 22. Now we pray that none of those were innocent. There is a possibility, yes, that one or two could have been. But the, the goal is that none of those were innocent. They had all been guilty. The baby isn't guilty. The baby is innocent. So while 22 lives died in capital punishment, over a million die in the womb. And that's just the United States. It's not quite a million anymore, but we'll, we'll, we'll mention some of those numbers. Well, Father, stop being political. I didn't come to Mass today to be political. Okay, good point. But let me answer you by what the church teaches about being political. The Catholic Church says we have the obligation ah, to be involved in politics regarding moral issues. Quote, Catechism 2246. It is a part of the church's mission to, quote, pass moral judgments even in matters related to politics whenever the fundamental rights of man or the salvation of souls requires it. Trust me, we are talking right here about the rights of man and the salvation of souls. Regarding the non-negotiables that Pope Benedict talked about, Remember, he said there were three non-negotiables. The dignity of human life, the sanctity of marriage, 
and the preservation of religious liberty. Those are the three things Pope Benedict said are the non-negotiables. Does that mean that the environment is negotiable, meaning we can destroy it? No, it means it's negotiable in the way that we decide to protect it. Some people might say, chop down that tree and plant a different tree. That might be a good way to do an environmental improvement. This tree gives off more oxygen. Cut that tree down, put this other tree in. You see, there's negotiable ways to improve the environment. Nobody's saying destroy it. There's negotiable. I might say, uh, dig a new lake. And somebody might say, no, I want that field for feeding crops, for feeding people. So it's, it's negotiable. One person might say, keep that forest for the animals. Another person might say, chop it down to plant a field to feed the people. It's negotiable. Nobody's saying destroy the environment. We're just saying it's negotiable how we fix it. <clears throat> Regarding the dignity of human life, it's non-negotiable. Taking human life is never allowed. Regarding the sanctity of marriage, it's never negotiable. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Third, preservation of religious liberty, to strip it, to take it, never negotiable. Under no circumstances. Not even the coronavirus. This is what we have to realize what Benedict was talking about. Now, he said... Regarding the non-negotiables, it does involve the fundamental rights of man and the salvation of souls. Therefore, guess what, everybody? It becomes an active need in politics. So all of you who've wrote me the hundreds of letters, not to be political, I have a moral obligation. I'm not being political. You know what it means not to be political? endorsing political candidates, endorsing political parties, um, going to rallies and donating to a particular political campaign. That's what being political means that we're not to do. We're not supposed to do that. So in that sense, you're right, not to be political. It determines what you mean by it. So let's go to our next slide. This is a quote from Archbishop Chaput, and I think it's a good one. This was his his writing on the role of the priest in public affairs. Listen to this. Quote, it is the job of Catholics to change the thinking of their political party and their political leaders. Interesting. With the tools of their Catholic faith. But it is the job of priests to give the people those tools to form Catholic lay people to think and act as disciples of Jesus Christ in a manner guided by the teaching of the church. Right there, he is saying it's the job of Catholics to change the thinking of the political leaders. Hmm. Father, we're not supposed to be involved in politics. Yes, when it's regarding human dignity and the salvation of souls. So as a priest, it is my obligation to inform you. Then it's up to you what you do with it. At least then I can stand before the Lord and say, I taught the truth. Now what you do with it is up to you. But you can't shoot the messenger for telling you the word of the Lord. Why do we need to do this? Why do we need as priests to be involved in this? Because 70% of the women who have taken the lives of children in their womb were Christian. Identified themselves as Christian. 
70% of women who have ended the life and pregnancy in their womb have affiliated themselves as Christian. Each and every procured abortion, according to the Catechism 2271, quote, each and every procured abortion is gravely contrary to the moral law. Now we understand there are circumstances. Again, we'll finish with those. But I do want to give you a few statistics. This one's kind of really staggering. Do you know that 40% of all mature women have had at least one abortion? 40%. Some years in the U.S., it has been over a million over 60 million since Roe v. Wade. It is getting better, praise be to God. In 2017, about 18% of U.S. pregnancies were ended. Used to be higher. There are nine countries in the world that have a higher rate than the United States. Let's look at our next slide. These are the countries with the higher rate than the U.S. Bulgaria, Cuba, Estonia, Georgia, Kazakhstan, Romania, Russia, Sweden, Ukraine, and China. So who, who do the statistics tell us that the, these precious women are, these, these women who are struggling? Well, here's another eye-opener. In 2018, they said unmarried women accounted for 85% of all terminated pregnancies. This is according to the CDC. Only 4% were married. 4% of 2018, uh, 2018 pregnancies were ended. Among unmarried women, 27% ended their pregnancies. So I, I apologize, I stated that wrong. So there was 85% were unmarried. 15% obviously were married, my mistake. 4% of pregnancies that were totally ended. Among married women, 27% that ended it. So, sorry about that confusion. Now, in the African-American community, three and a half times more likely to end their pregnancy than not. You know, that should be the focus of Black Lives Matter. If you really believe Black Lives Matter, which we do, that should be the number one goal. Ending of the taking of the life in the womb. But ironically, in their own manifesto, they're in favor of it. They're in favor of these procedures. How could that mean that black lives matter when you're in favor of taking black lives? Don't understand that. So let us pray because there's much need. All right, last couple pages. What about the world statistics? All right, in the United States, there was a peak of one and a half million abortions in 1990. And it's down below 900,000 in recent years. So there is some improvement. From 2010 to 2014, of all the pregnancies in the world, 25% were terminated. 25% of 
all pregnancies in the world. In that same time frame, 2010 to 2014, the Guttmacher Institute estimated there were 56 million abortions every year. Now, what they also estimated is that 65% of the world's terminated pregnancies were in Asia. Let's pray for Asia. You know, abortion is illegal in most of Africa and South America. Now, we can look at these statistics. I don't want to bury you in statistics, but what I want to get back to is why we're pro-life. And I said before that it can be both reason, our intellect, and revelation, our faith. A lot of Americans are pro-choice because they have the misguided conviction that opposing the right to choose is a matter of forcing your religious teachings on me on an issue that's not religious. This is secular, the birth of a baby. The issue of women's health and their choice of what to do with their bodies and consulting with their doctors is their choice. Yes, it is. Until it involves another body. That's what the church says. Hence, as I said, the famous slogan, keep your rosaries off my ovaries. But remember, as I said, freedom is the ability to do what you ought to do, not what you want to do. So the church teaches, why be pro-life? The church teaches ending life in the womb is wrong because of the natural law, which is known, knowable by every human being alive. God puts it on your heart. Why? Because life begins at conception. Now, you don't even need faith to accept that. Because according to modern embryological and, and, and medical science, it has growth. It is alive. There is a heartbeat in the womb. If the embryo is not alive, why is there even a debate about it at all? The word abort means to terminate. Well, terminate what if there's no life? So if there was no life, we wouldn't even be debating to take it, to stop it, to abort it. That's very important. The church goes on to say, from the moment of conception on, the living cells of the new individual in the woman's womb bear unique and complete DNA, human DNA. Guess what? If you've got human DNA, you're a human being. So now you're a human being. The church says even a human life temporarily lacking consciousness. Well, but this is not a real life because they don't have consciousness they don't have self-awareness, okay? What about the person in the coma? The person in the coma does not have consciousness or self-awareness. Can I just randomly, can I walk into a hospital room and kill that person in the coma? No. Even if there are laws now that are allowing you to do it, it's wrong. It's still a personal being with a capacity to recover. How many people have we heard about that have woken up from comas after five years, six years? It's quite amazing, actually. So the right to life, the church, 
We would not kill a two-year-old because the mother can't afford it. We wouldn't kill a two-year-old because the mother wants to go back to get her graduate degree. We wouldn't kill a two-year-old because <clears throat> the parent doesn't want it. We would find another home. We wouldn't ask the mother to do something she's not capable of doing. This is important. And the purpose of government is not to take that life or allow that life to be taken. It's to secure, defend, and preserve those rights. We just read from the Declaration of Independence. Therefore, the right of the unborn to life should be reflected in the laws of the land. Hmm. All right, getting close here. <clears throat> now let's talk about faith. <clears throat> Why would the Catholic Church make the defense of the unborn such a central issue of her witness? The answer is because the right to life is the foundational right, the first right before every other right. Unless the human right, this human right, the right to life, is protected and respected, no other human rights are safe. And we're seeing that happen right now. Our human rights are being taken away. If the dignity of unborn, the most vulnerable and voiceless, is not protected, all human dignity is at risk. This is, I'm reading this, this is right from the teaching of the church. On this is based our civilization's understanding of humanity's place as children of a loving God. So pro-choice people look at the difficulties of the poor mom, which we should, and they want to support her. We should. The question is how? Not causing her more trauma by taking that life. But they ignore many documented and, you know, well-documented and negative medical and psychological costs to women. If you really wish to help one that's not ready to be a parent, guide her to a possible adoption. As we said, there's 2 million couples waiting, 36 couples for every one baby that goes up for adoption. It's amazing. So let's continue now with what the church believes. Let's go on to our next slide. All right. This is a quote from what we call the Didache. You shall not murder a child by abortion nor kill that which is begotten. Whoa. The Didache. The Didache is one of the oldest teachings we have in the church. First century. The Lord's teaching through the 12 apostles to the nations. That's directly out of the Didache. It even says the word. What about this? Paul VI in Humana Vitae said, quote, the direct interruption of the generative process, meaning the growth of the baby, already begun, and above all, all direct abortion, I'm just quoting him, even for therapeutic reasons, are to be absolutely excluded as lawful means of regulating the number of children. Hmm. The Catechism, number 2273, says, 
quote, the inalienable rights of the person must be recognized and respected by civil society and the political authority. These human rights depend, listen to this, this is unbelievable. They're talking about the rights of the child. Listen to this. These human rights depend neither on other individuals nor even on parents. That means the day that you are conceived, you have that right that not even your parent can take away. That's unbelievable. This is the catechism, 2273. These human rights depend neither on single individuals nor on parents. They belong to human nature and are inherent in the person, the child, by virtue of the creative act from which the person took his origin, meaning conception. Among such fundamental rights, one should mention every human being's right to life and physical integrity from the moment of conception until death. Wow. I'm going to take a quick break here for the people here. They could stretch their legs. But we're going to show you a video right now. It's only two and a half minutes. But everybody likes to go to non-Catholics and say, where's that in the Bible? Now we're going to show you a two and a half minute video of where that is in the Bible and how the church is pro-woman, even in this case. This is Dr. Healy. You know, I was talking about bringing you back to seminary. I had uh, Dr. Healy, uh, the man at Franciscan. This is uh, the lady, uh, Mrs. Healy, teaches at the Detroit Seminary Sacred Heart. Great teacher. Let's take a look at the quick video. We go now to our next segment on this show. We often present to you the pro-life argument based on scientific evidence from a human rights perspective or based on political philosophy. But with our next guest, we delve into how the Holy Bible holds up the pro-life view as well. Mary, what is some scriptural evidence for the pro-life belief? What does the Bible say about the dignity of the unborn? The Bible is absolutely unambiguous about the dignity of human life, including unborn life. So, of course, we have the fifth commandment, you shall not kill, but also many scripture passages which, which speak about those who are in the womb as having dignity and value in the eyes of God. There's the beautiful passage from Psalm 139 where, God, where the psalmist says to God, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am wondrously made. Wonderful are your works. Mm -hmm. So God is teaching us through his word, the preciousness, the, the unspeakable value of human life, even before it's seen, when it's still in the womb. We have the call of the prophet Jeremiah to whom the Lord says, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. So God knows every single person before they're born. He loves every person unconditionally. And he commands us to respect and value every human person whom he created in his image. Mary, as a Catholic woman and a theology expert, how do you respond when people say the Catholic Church's teachings on life are anti-woman? I would say that it's a tremendous deception for people to think that. 
to think that killing an unborn child in the womb is somehow of a benefit to a woman is a incredible deception. And I know of so many women who have, have been deeply traumatized by abortion, who regret their abortion, who recognize it was the worst choice they ever made, who recognize that it only helped to enable the sexual irresponsibility of men. And as Pope Paul VI predicted in his in his beautiful encyclical Humanae Vitae, it um, the the widespread availability of first contraception and then abortion has not enhanced the dignity of women. It has only served to demean the dignity of women, and um, and we can see it today in our culture the way women are treated as sex objects. Okay, so thank you, everybody. Now, that was a great video that has a real good <coughs> teacher, Mrs. Healy, that Dr. Healy, uh, like I said, I learned so much in seminary from a Dr. Healy at Franciscan, the other, another Dr. Healy, and she teaches at the Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit, but great stuff. Now, to finish here, how do we turn this tide? What do we do? The culture of life, how do we be part of that? How do we change from this culture of death to the culture of life? All right. The culture of life will start with people following Our Lady and her example. She's the patroness of the unborn, Our Lady of Guadalupe. All right. Bear in mind, Mary's choice to bear the Christ child almost cost her her life. When she said yes to that child, you know, we talk about mothers being in jeopardy of their life. Nobody was in jeopardy more than the blessed mother because she wasn't fully wed. She was only betrothed. So when it was discovered that she was uh, pregnant, her life was in danger. She still said yes. She didn't terminate. As an unwed mother, she was at risk her own life. Joseph was not the biological father. She could have been accused of adultery and stoned, stoned to death. So the culture of life will be inaugurated by the women following Our Lady. The culture of life will be inaugurated by women like St. Gianna Beretta Mola, who chose to forgo medical treatment that would have killed the child in her womb. She offered her own life instead. But now we're not saying you have to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit on that. It's called double effect. You are not morally required to do that. To give your life for the baby in the womb. You're not morally required to do that. But the culture of life will be inaugurated by women like Abby Johnson, you know, the former Planned Parenthood clinic director who turned pro-life when she witnessed the procedure going on that saw the ultrasound of the child being killed. The culture of death will be turned back by women, again, like the Blessed Mother, but also with men serving them as Christ serves the church. This is the man's role. Support. Men, as embarrassing as it is to say, are probably, I don't have any statistic on this, but my guess would be are responsible for the majority of abortions. Because it just said that 53% of the women in New York City said they were forced into it. Most likely it was probably by the father. 
The right to life is the first of all rights. It's the only choice we can all agree on. Nobody goes to the restaurant and agrees on the choice of the food for everybody. Nobody can agree on anything. There's one choice we can agree on that we all deserve to live. Speaking of life, God bless Mark Massery. He was the employee we lost earlier in 2020 and 2021. And it just broke our hearts. And I've been reading his work from time to time. He, he wrote for us. So I want to borrow from an article he did in the Marion Helper in 2019 called How to Be Pro-Life. How beautiful. Mark is still helping us. He said, though we can and should hope, pray, vote, and advocate for an end to this practice, we must focus on what we can do here and now in our own communities. We need to double up our efforts on changing hearts and minds one at a time to understand the inherent dignity of unborn life. Here I'm reading the words of our beloved Mark Mastery. As with anything, to change the hearts and minds of others, we must start with ourselves. First, we must refrain from condemning those who have had an abortion or assisted in one. True, very true. As the Apostle Paul said, all have sinned and are deprived of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 How many times have we done something wrong, believing at the time that we were justified? Have mercy on those people. We want God to have mercy on us. I've done some stupid, beyond stupid things in my life. And I want God to have mercy on me. Why shouldn't a mother who has made that wrong choice expect mercy from us? God demands it. We must remember that pro-choice advocates are not the enemy. Satan is. It's not the Democrats. It's not the politicians as much as we want to. And we get frustrated the enemy is Satan, not the human. We're all children of God, and a child of God is not the enemy. Treat everyone we meet with dignity and respect, Mark says, because that's what being pro-life is all about. After cultivating this charitable attitude, we need to arm ourselves with the truth. In steps Father Chris. <laughs> to give you the truth. That's the purpose of being here today. Once we know these basic truths, we need to place ourselves in a better position to talk about it and encounter those who misunderstand or don't know the truth. We can do this by the following. Now I'm going to have Brother Mark show the next slide. And I'm hoping he can keep it up in the corner. He's done this before. And if not, uh, we'll see. But there's... Uh, seven things, and I'm going to have Mark keep this up in the corner. So you can see number one there, pray and offer sacrifices. That's number one. Oh, prayer doesn't do anything, Father. Well, yes, it does. 
Mark says we must pray and offer penance for the sake of ending this practice. Pray the rosary and the chaplet of divine mercy for the sake of the unborn and expectant mothers. How many of us pray that rosary for the unborn and never mention the mothers? In fact, I've caught myself doing it right on that kneeler here at the National Shrine. We offer up this rosary for the unborn. Add to it and the mothers. Great point, Mark. Great point. Have a mass said for them. Pray in front of the clinics, the plant parenthoods, the clinics. You know, this could be risk. This could be dangerous. You've got to be careful. I remember I was in Minnesota. And I was doing a mission. And that morning I had a few extra moments and I went to an abortion clinic to pray. I'm there in, in, in my clerics. I got my rosary in my hand and I'm praying in front of the uh, abortion clinic and Planned Parenthood and cars are whizzing by. All of a sudden a car whizzes by and I hear this prof profanity laced yelling at me and a beer bottle, an empty beer bottle whizzed by my head, just scraping the side of my ear. Could have killed me. I mean, it was thrown with force and shattered on the side of the building. It's like, why? So we got to be careful. can be dangerous. So pray for the doctors, the clinic staffers, the nurses, the assistants, and the women who go to have these procedures. Pray for those who encourage the women to end their pregnancy. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about praying for those who are in the background encouraging these women to end their pregnancy? I don't think I've ever heard that mentioned in the beginning of a rosary. Now, if you don't hear it, you can add it silently. Mark Mastery, great job here. Prevent. Uh, pray for those who are encouraging those to end the pregnancy uh, or who prevent them from having the child, maybe the father, as well as the unborn themselves. Pray for our legislators and politicians and those who prolong the present culture of death. Our rosaries, chaplets, masses, and penances can gain a special outpouring of God's merciful love and change the course of history. Our prayers and sacrifices enable God to pour out his grace more powerfully and lavishly upon us. Remember, what is sin? Sin creates disharmony in God's universe. What is virtue and love? It's like putting penicillin into the universe. Powerful stuff. All right, let's go to the second one. If Mark has that list up there. Give our time. Remember how to tithe? Time, treasure, or talent. Number one is time. Give our time. Contact the local national right to life. Consider sidewalk counseling. Go into the life march. Whatever it takes. Give of your time. Number three, help expectant mothers. Volunteer. Help them. Bring them dinner. Take them to a local pregnancy resource center. One that provides diapers and ones that, that, that when the child is actually after it's born, so they know if they have the child, they'll have support. 
It's not just support while the child's in the womb. It continues after the child is born. Next, be open to life yourself. Be open to life in your own marriage. How many people say I'm pro-life, but they use contraception? <laughs> Humana Vitae and the Catechism say all sexual acts must be completed in an act that is open to life. That's where a lot of questions are asked of me about oral sex and other things. Uh, we'll give you a warning ahead of time, but I will be doing a talk on theology of the body. And we will put the warning out there. You know, if your children are watching, we, you know, we, we, it's very important that we give you the teaching of what the church teaches. So I'm not going to do it here because your children might be watching, but we are going to be doing a theology of the body. What is allowed even within marriage? Everybody thinks, well, I'm married, so anything goes. Not true. Not true. Since the first oral contraception was issued in the United States in the 1960s, abortion has become very common. Mark says this is because the contraceptive mentality treats pregnancy as if it were a disorder, needing medical treatment. Oh my. As a result, many turn to surgical procedures to remedy the failed contraception. That's crazy. When you look at it on paper, but yet we do it all the time. All right, next, number five, consider adoption. We talked about this already. Couples can choose life in an important way through adopting children or putting their child up for adoption if they can't take care of them. As and we promote adoption as an alternative, we need to follow up by giving these children a home, a good home, and a good family. As we said before, 2 million couples waiting to adopt, 36 for every one child put up for adoption. All right? Number six, voting pro-life. The church has identified this as a non-negotiable moral issue. Pro-life is number one. As Catholics, we cannot vote specifically for a candidate because he's pro-choice views. While serving as the prefect for the CDF, the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, Cardinal Ratzinger wrote a document called Worthiness to Receive Holy Communion, the General Principles, which became public in 2004. And it addressed voting for political candidates. He said you cannot if alternatives are available. With about 900,000 children taken, lives taken every year, protecting life, he said, is the preeminent moral issue. And that's just in the United States. And that whole time that 60 million have been lost since Roe v. Wade in the United States, guess how many worldwide? One and a half billion. One and a half billion. Lastly, write your elected officials. You can go to usa.gov slash elected officials to find your state and federal representatives. The change we want to see in this country and around the world has to begin with ourselves. So the last paragraph I think is important. We mentioned what about the mother's health if the baby is putting the mother's life in danger? You are not morally obligated to do this. Some saints have done it as a heroic act of virtue. I don't want to mislead you that, that that's required. Here's what the church teaches. An example, the pro-life answer to this question, 
if the baby puts the life of the mother in danger, is that direct abortion is always wrong for the sake of taking the life of the child and only that. However, life-saving treatments that have the unintended side effect of jeopardizing or even ending the life of the child in the womb are actually permissible. That's surprising to some people. One example is a pregnant woman who is diagnosed with uterine cancer. To save the life of the mother, the uterus may have to be removed. Her uterus with the child inside may need to be surgically removed, even before the child can survive outside the womb. This would have the unforeseen but unintended, get that, unintended consequence of ending the life of the child. Such a surgery is morally permissible in the teaching of the church. Don't get upset with me. It's called the principle of double effect, and it's in Catholic moral teaching. The big thing here is pray for the moms. Pray for the moms. So to finish, pro-life is tied to divine mercy. How do we care for these women? John Paul II said in Evangelium Vitae, the gospel of life, for women who have had, and this I'm quoting him, for women who have terminated their pregnancies, quote, the church is aware of the many factors which may have influenced your decision. And she does not doubt in many cases it was a painful and even shattering decision. Praise be to God for the heart of John Paul. The wound, he's talking to women who have made this decision. He said, the wound in your heart may not yet have healed. Certainly what happened was and remains terribly wrong. But do not give in to discouragement and do not lose hope. Try rather to understand what happened and face it honestly. If you have not already done so, give yourselves over with humility and trust to repentance. The Father of mercies is ready to give you his forgiveness and his peace in the sacrament of reconciliation. You will come to understand that nothing is definitively lost and you will also be able to ask forgiveness from your child who is now living in the Lord. Pope Francis said, human life must always be defended from its beginning in the womb and must be recognized as a gift of God that guarantees the future of humanity. So our last two couple slides, as you can see, Brother Mark put on the answer in short is divine mercy. Remember, that's the mercy of God incarnate. That's Jesus Christ. And remember, no sin is unforgivable. Lying, stealing, cheating, murder, even abortion. No sin is unforgivable. Every sin is forgivable except one. There is only one sin that is unforgivable, the sin against the Holy Spirit, and that is not accepting the mercy of God. So as long as you come into this church, go to confession, say you are sorry, tell God you are sorry, it is forgivable. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Let's not condemn ourselves. And especially, mothers, don't condemn yourselves, and especially let not us in the name of being Catholic, condemn you either.
We're with you. We're in this together. Remember, we're not the enemy. Pro-choice isn't the enemy. Satan is. And so God bless you. And, and I want to show you one last thing because this might help you. Um, our last slide is shopmercy.org slash pro-life. If you would like any resources on pro-life of what I talked about today, we got some pamphlets. We got prayer cards. We got books. We've got everything you need. And it's on shopmercy.org slash pro-life. And you can see it there. Please get on there. And if you can't afford it and you want some, contact me. You say, Father, I'll pass these prayer cards out, but I don't have any money for them. Get a hold of me. We'll get them into your hands. What's most important is that we reach these people, these moms, and share the good news, not condemn them. And so join our team, micprayers.org. And you can see it there on your screen. And you know, you can also get, um, I won't even show the rest of the, 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 the things we're running out of time, the rest of the slides, but please join our Marian family at micprayers.org. And until we can join together as one in the dignity of human life, let's keep praying. We won't have a talk next week because I'll be giving a talk to the sister servants of the eternal word at EWTN. If you'd like to join me on retreat at EWTN, please call the sister servants of the eternal word in Alabama because I'll be there doing a retreat next weekend. It's a weekend retreat, and you can see EWTN, and we can meet you, have dinner, and go on retreat. So God bless you, sister servants of the eternal word, next week. So there'll be no talk here live or live stream next week. But after that, that's January 22nd. After that, we'll be back on track. Don't forget EWTN this Wednesday, the show on pro-life, and the Life March in Washington, D.C., Friday, the 21st. Whew. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.